With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your host, Ian Hartz, and today we are continuing our team preview series with the Detroit Lions. I've already gone through the AFC North. This will be the final episode of our NFC North portion. We'll get on to the AFC East as we continue to go through every single NFL team prior to week one of the 2020 season. So, without further ado, your fantasy football preview for the 2020 Detroit Lions. Starting off with Matthew Stafford. I... I think people are underestimating just how good he and the entire Lions offense were in 2019, how good they can be again in 2020. And particularly from a fantasy perspective, I mean, this was just absurd. Only Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, and Dak Prescott averaged more fantasy points per game than Stafford last season. I mean, what this guy was doing week in and week out was it was ballsy, and it was efficient, and it was awesome. I mean, he led all QBs and average target depth deep ball rate, tight window throws. I mean, it was fantastic. The guy was being, you know, a complete gunslinger, finally using that cannon he has for a right arm for good. I mean, how many years do we have to watch Stafford, you know, just kind of dink and dunk the ball to Theo Riddick and Golden Tate within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage all game? Daryl Bavell comes in year one. All of a sudden, Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones getting all sorts of fantasy-friendly targets downfield, and Stafford made the most of it, hitting Marvin Hall for, you know, a deep shot every game. Just awesome play from Stafford all season long. The back, broken back, not good. You know, any 30-year-old coming off a back injury, it's not good. And, you know, Stafford is 32. It's not like he just turned 30 or anything like that. He's been around the block, but I don't know. We've seen, you know, I was looking at, kind of fantasy quarterbacks and when we see their most productive seasons and honestly it's there's more quarterbacks in their 10 plus year in the league that have been you know top 12 ppr performers compared to any other age experience so i know part of that is going to be you know a bigger pool of quarterbacks with you know years of experience between 10 and you know however many years brady and breeze have been in the league but we don't need to assume necessarily these days that a quarterback, just because they are, you know, creeping up to thirties now, is all of a sudden not going to be, you know, a relevant fancy asset. So I'm loving Matt Stafford to get back to what he was doing last season again, 2020. Only Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson really ahead of the guy in the MVP and MVP conversation before he got hurt to begin with. So do not sleep on what Stafford could do with 16 full games in 2020, because I don't think they're going to be running the ball all that much in 2020. They got DeAndre Swift, drafting them real high. 
way too you know second round pick you don't you don't draft second round picks and not give them double digit touches early on but the problem is like carry on johnson isn't going to go anywhere unless he gets hurt again and you know they love carry on it's unfortunate that in back-to-back seasons when they finally felt good enough about the guy to give him a three down roll he suffers an ir worthy injury almost immediately in both i mean he's so fun to watch but it's just tough. If this is Swift and Carry On, if it's a two-back committee, they're going you know 50-50 or 60-40 or something like that. That's fine. We can live with that as fantasy investors. There are so few one-back backfields in this league anyway. If we can get it down to just two, that's fine. I don't know though. I'm mean, the last couple weeks of last season. Once Carry On came back, it was Carry On. It was Bo Scarborough. It was Ty Johnson. Even J.D. McKissick. All these guys were getting between 10 and 45 percent of the snaps. I mean. Ty Johnson just throughout the season from week one on was getting you know this kind of 20 30 percent snap roll so I, I, it's just one of these situations where Patricia we know he's a committee back guy I don't think there's any reason to believe that either Swift or carry on with health are going to overtake the other just based on you know both of their status as good players Swift is going to be the more fancy friendly back because I think he's got that pass get pass down work you know accounted for but this isn't an offense that's going to be checking the ball now as much as we got used to seeing so Swift is the only running back here that we should be expecting, you know, maybe RB2 value from, but I'm generally staying away. Again, hopefully this is a two-back backfield, but sneaky chance for it to be three or, God forbid, even four backs. So moving on to the wide receiver room. So with Stafford last season, in those eight games, Kenny Galladay had 62 targets, Marvin Jones had 57 targets, Danny Amendola 44 in just seven games, TJ Hawkinson in the number four spot with 38 targets. And you know, in those eight games, Galladay was the league's PPR wide receiver 11, Marvin Jones the wide receiver 14. I mean, Marvin Jones is just underrated in every single season. If you're a fantasy analyst and you're not talking about how much value he has, I mean, what are you doing out here? It's just year in and year out. But that doesn't mean... It's kind of like Pittsburgh, where we're all talking about Deontay Johnson being this value. Just because the wide receiver two is a value doesn't mean the wide receiver one can't also be a value. I mean, both of these guys last season were top 15 wide receivers in terms of fantasy-friendly targets. And what I mean by that is I went through every receiver in the league, and if you look back historically, they receivers average more fantasy points per target on deep balls and on red zone targets compared to you know intermediate targets between the 20s this makes sense you you're either picking up lots of yards on a deep ball or you're hopefully finding the end zone if you're getting those looks in the red zone and again both Galladay and Marvin top 15 among over 70 qualified wide receivers just in fancy friendly target rate you know with Stafford back with Pavel back there's just no reason to really expect that to fall off now I think we see a blow up from Galladay in the near future could even be in 2020 you know people talk about he doesn't have his separation ability be careful about knocking wide receivers on separation because I don't think we have the best stats for that yet I mean all the credit the world to uh, NFL's next-gen stats they do a lot of cool things but you know when your separation stat says that Jimmy Graham is the best in the league at separating probably time to you know rework the stat or at a minimum we shouldn't be talking about that stat as something to denote you know who's good at separating from defenders and who's not so Kenny Galladay, again, call him Babytron for a reason. If this dude can get 150 targets in a season, look out. That could be coming in 2020. Marvin hasn't been able to you know, finish these seasons recently, 
But again, it's it's one of these situations where we don't have to buy Marvin as a wide receiver two, expecting that value. He's still going that wide receiver three, wide receiver four range. Way too cheap to not consider taking a shot on at that point in the draft. Moving on to the tight end room, you know, I, I mentioned before, again, Hawkinson with Stafford under center was number four in this offense by targets. And, and it really, it wasn't all that close. I mean, to be six targets behind Amendola, even with the full benefit of an extra game, not great. And it's just the Hawkinson talent is out of this world. I mean, I was talking to, uh, you know, podfather Matt Kelly on a PFF pod where we went over all the tight ends, and he's just incredibly high on Hawkinson, buying the talent. He's saying, look, we saw the blow-up game in week one against the Cardinals. Targets weren't there. Could definitely take over Amendola and just year two tight ends in general because, you know, I've mentioned this in other pods, but we don't see rookie tight ends do anything. Only Evan Ingram, who needed an OBJ injury to only play four games that year, and Rob Gronkowski have been top 12 fantasy performers at the tight end position as rookies since 2010. So the fact Hawkinson did anything last year, even if it was, you know, pretty much one big performance against the worst tight end defense we've ever seen, the fact he did anything is great news for him moving forward. There's just a little too much concern for me to be too high on him this year. The snaps probably, I mean, the targets, excuse me, just it's tough to say they're going to be there. When he was fourth last year in the same cruise back, maybe he gets up to third. Even then, you know, there's still other uh, tight ends we can target around the league that are talented and have a chance to be their offense's number two or even number one target. And that floor is very low for Hawkinson. I mean, he only cleared 50 yards twice all of last season. He's coming off a very serious ankle injury. And I mean, I saw some off-season videos of him and Kittle working out and they both look like, you know, beastly all-world tight ends that they're, you know, both were drafted and coming up to be. So it, it seems like he's fine, but, you know, a few injury questions and not to mention that we have Sheriff Jesse James just low-key stealing 20-30% of the snaps every week. I mean, for some reason, last offseason, the Lions gave James a 20 million plus contract. He's not going anywhere. He's still there. Unfortunately, I don't know if Hawkinson is even going to have this like every snap role that he absolutely deserves. I mean, he's he's really good. I don't hate betting on the talent, you know, as a, you know, in that teen range and the tight end two range, you know, you're 15, 16, whatever it might be. But I just think a lot of people have him going earlier. I am not going to be chasing Hawkinson as a top 10 tight end in 2020. So um, moving on to the rankings, you can find these as always on PFF.com. Use code FANCY40 for 40% off my rankings and all other sorts of cool stuff from the fine folks at Pro Football Focus. I'm going to list my rankings for these players and who I have both in front and behind them. At quarterback, I have Matthew Stafford, QB 10. And, you know, I'm taking them ahead of Tom Brady and right behind Drew Brees. I just think, you know, I'm selling some of that Tampa hype a little bit. And Stafford, to be fourth in fantasy points for game last season and to not even really have an ADP more than that QB 1 borderline, sign me up, people. At running back, I have DeAndre, Sitch, uh, DeAndre Swift excuse me, as my RB30, one spot behind Darius Geis, one spot ahead of J.K. Dobbins. Again, I mean, that two RB potential is there. I'm a little worried they're going to do it, and I just don't think there's really any circumstance where we see Swift just take over that backfield unless we see multiple injuries happen. Uh, carry on a little bit lower on than the rest of the industry. I have him as my RB50. He could absolutely outperform this, but... 
I think kind of similar to Swift, the fact that there just isn't that high ceiling causing me to be you know this low on him. I have carry on one spot ahead of Darrington Evans from Tennessee and one spot behind the Bills' new rookie, Zach Moss. At wide receiver, I have Kenny Galladay as my wide receiver eight, one spot ahead of A.J. Brown, one spot behind Allen Robinson. Just think that the things he can do on this field, if he can get 150-plus targets, I mean, we're talking about a true chance to be the league's wide receiver one with without Marvin you just can't guard this dude Marvin Jones is my wide receiver 33 I have him one spot behind Michael Gallup one spot ahead of Hollywood Brown I like all these guys in this range I mean we, we've talked about this where the reason why so many people are going running back early in drafts is because you can literally talk yourself into the top 40 even 50 wide receivers one way or another uh, in terms of being you know these kind of high end to at the at a minimum you know very relevant fancy options throughout the season uh, and then at tight end I do have TJ Hawkson as my tight end 15 one spot ahead of Jonu Smith one spot behind Chris Herndon I don't mind betting on the t- talent right there I mean again these are rankings so if he's there as your tight end 15 absolutely Absolutely, but what I've seen with the ADP so far, not a guy I'm really willing to chase. So moving on, win total, six and a half. Now I've taken the under on the Packers, Vikings, and Bears. I think the NFC North is down this year. Um, with the Vikings and Bears, it's a situation where, yeah, their teams weren't bad last year. In the Vikings case, they were really good, but they both lost some pieces, and I don't think what they brought in is going to outweigh that by any stretch. The Packers were a 500 team by most efficiency statistics last year. Rodgers helped carry them to a 9-1 record in one-score games. We just don't see that sort of performance usually persist season to season. And the Lions, you want to talk about unlucky teams from last year. I mean, they were 3-4-1 with Stafford under center. That included just a wild Chiefs game that, you know, had fumbles at the goal line that were being taken back the distance and, you know, just back and forth down the wire. Easily could have been a win for him there. And then just a Packers game that was a robbery. You know, the league could have even intervened and done something with that. So I realize with, you know, hindsight being 2020, we can go back and kind of pick apart a lot of these teams' final records. But just realize that this team, you know, when Stafford was healthy, they were right there with anyone else in this division in terms of being the best squad out there. So I am taking over six and a half wins. I talked about this with Evan Silva on the first uh, PFF Fantasy Football podcast I did. I even like the Lions to win the division this year, people, especially with those odds. They, The difference between them and the best team in their division is arguably you know, thinner than any other disparity between the first and fourth uh, projected team in any division across the league. So I love the chance for the Lions to make a lot of noise this year. I understand the Matt Patricia concerns. I understand that, hey, the Lions concerns, the defense likely won't be all that great just kind of threw a bunch of you know crap at the wall we got maybe okuda steps in and just is darius slay-esque from day one maybe all those patriots defenders they brought in can help give me you know a poor man's version of that unit but you know i'm thinking just a little bit of regression there in a weak division with a loaded offense i am buying the lions passing game and the lions as a whole in 2020 Thank you all for listening. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. Take care, everyone.